The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael tura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Washington, D.C. A muggy summer day finally starts to cool as night falls. Streetlights turn on. Crickets chirp. There's the soft jingle of the tags on a dog collar. A black poodle walks up someone's porch steps, sniffs around. The dog leaps back down the stairs when its owner calls its name. A few hours later on those same porch steps, the man who lives there slowly walks up and a masked figure walks up behind him. There's a gunshot. Someone screams. The shooter makes a run for it ripping a stocking mask from his face. It lands on a porch step as he disappears down the street into the night. You live down the street from where the gunshot went off. Three days later, you're hanging out with your girlfriend in your mom's basement, sitting on the couch watching TV. Your mom is upstairs, cleaning up after dinner. And then there's a knock at the door. You hear someone introduce themselves as an officer, officer something or other, and damn it, you think. In your teenage mind, you figure he must be there about the parking ticket you got a few weeks ago and didn't pay yet. Your mom's going to be pissed. You head upstairs, but they cuff you 
and take you away. You're brought down to the station and put in a cell, and they tell you that you'll be tried for the murder of your neighbor. The next day you're transferred to the county jail, and you're beginning to absorb the shock of it all. The one thing that you can't get past is the filth, it's just terrible in there. Everything from the bugs, to the food, to the living conditions. And the noise, the noise is unbearable, you can hardly sleep. You begin to miss out on things, your family's summer vacation comes and goes. Six months pass, you would have had your GED by now. A year slips by and then a year turns into a year and a half. Your nieces and nephews, the ones that you helped raise, are growing up. You've spoken to them a few times, but they haven't come to visit. Are they thinking that their uncle may have done this? You miss out on the final years of being a carefree teen. It seems as though everything's moving on without you. Finally, after two agonizing years, your case goes to trial. You want to get your life back. You didn't kill anyone. You were in that same basement all night when someone else climbed your neighbor's steps and ended his life with a single gunshot blast to the head. A few weeks ago, an officer came to your cell and cut some of your hair. Of course, you willingly let them take it because you were sure it would help prove your innocence. As you sit in the courtroom at your trial, the prosecutor says that there was a nylon stocking mask found at the scene of the crime. An FBI agent takes the stand for the prosecution and tells the jury, I compared the defendant's hair to the 13 hairs found on the mask. This agent tells the jury that the defendant's hair is indistinguishable from one of those 13 hairs. The prosecutor says, there is one chance, perhaps for all we know, in 10 million, that it could be someone else's hair. This single hair proves critical because it's the only physical evidence that ties you to the homicide. You're told the jury's reached a verdict. They shuffle back into the courtroom and none of them will look at you. When you hear the word guilty, there's the sudden eruption of uncontrolled sobbing, like the turning on of a spigot. There's the unraveling of your mother and wails, not my baby, my baby didn't do it. Your aunts are crying, your relatives are trying to console each other. There's just a medley of weeping and misery. You feel like you're gonna pass out, the room is sideways and then it's upside down and then you're all white. All you can hear, all you can see, everything turns white and you go numb. You're sentenced to 20 years to life in state prison and then there is nothing, everything goes blank. You do everything you can to prove your innocence. You write letters, study the law. Your father comes to visit you just about every single Saturday, but he dies four years after your arrest. Your mom dies two years after that, and you can't go to either of their funerals. You can't help but to think, did this kill them? My wrongful conviction? You sit in your cell numb most days, and you try to recall little things that will bring some comfort. The smell of your mother's cooking, sitting around playing cards with your friends, holding hands with your girlfriend, 
in your mother's basement watching TV. You live a lifetime in that prison, 33 long years. It takes all of that time for the district attorney to finally agree to test the DNA contained in the hair that was found on that stocking mask that dropped to the steps of that porch. It turns out the way you knew it would. Your DNA does not match any of those 13 hairs. But they do figure out who one of the hairs belongs to, and it's not a person. Turns out that one of the hairs they found on that stocking mask, and argued to the jury was a human hair, belonged to that poodle. When you re-enter the world, they say you're free, but are you really? You went in as an 18-year-old boy and came out a 51-year-old man. And you've aged beyond your years. You're fighting an illness caused by the burden of carrying around your innocence for your entire adult life. You die at the age of 59, enjoying only eight free years with what's left of your family. But your death, your suffering, is not in vain. After you are found to be innocent, the FBI starts to re-examine over 3,000 cases where similar evidence was used. They're looking for other people who, like you, were wrongfully convicted of crimes they didn't commit. People whose lives were destroyed by the junk science of hair comparison analysis. The story you just heard is based on true events of Sante Tribble's life. He was wrongfully convicted in 1978 and exonerated in 2012. He passed away in July of 2020. This episode is dedicated to him. I'm Josh Dubin, civil rights and criminal defense attorney and innocence ambassador to the Innocence Project in New York. Even when examined under a microscope, the similarities that can be observed between two hairs are open to wide interpretation. In other words, there are no definitive traits that can prove with any scientific certainty that a suspect's hair matches a hair found at a crime scene. Yet hair comparison analysis was still being used to falsely identify and convict innocent people up until the year 2000. And today, there are still people who are incarcerated that were convicted based on this false evidence. So how did this evidence get admitted into courts in the first place? Turns out, hair microscopy was born in the 1800s, and the methods used to analyze and compare human hairs haven't changed much since. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward, inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from ATT Fiber. 
Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine. Hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. In 1869, a man named John Dorsey was accused of killing his wife by beating her over the head with a club in his own yard in Massachusetts. During the trial, two men claimed that they had seen hairs attached to the alleged murder weapon and that the hair appeared to be brunette human hair. That was the color of Mr. Dorsey's wife's hair. Mr. Dorsey was shocked. His wife was brunette, but so were his horses. According to Mr. Dorsey, the club wasn't a murder weapon. It was just one of many pieces of wood that was set out by the horse stables. The hair on the clubs didn't belong to his wife, but was a hair that had fallen from his horse's tail. But the court ruled that Mr. Dorsey couldn't present this account about the horse hair. Meanwhile, the testimony from the men claiming that the hair was Mr. Dorsey's wife's was permitted. Mr. Dorsey was eventually convicted of killing his wife. This was the first time a court admitted hair comparison analysis as evidence in our legal system, and it definitely wouldn't be the last. Over a century later, animal hair and human hair would again be an issue in the Sante Triple case. That case was just an example of the overconfidence and overreaching and what it could do to different individuals. The idea that not only could they be wrong about linking a hair to a person, which they can because you can't do that at all, but that they can't even identify what is human hair and what isn't. Not only did it occur in that case, but it continued to occur unchecked. That was just outrageous. All right, so joining us today is Vanessa Antone, and Vanessa is a member of the National Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers. I think we'll refer to them as the NACDL, and this is just a wonderful, wonderful group. Um, I'm a member of the NACDL, and it is a, um, a policy and advocacy organization that really is on the ground working for reforms and improvements in the criminal justice system. You're going to learn about a really remarkable project that they have been involved in with the FBI. And Vanessa is a key member of this project. And what they are doing is reading hundreds of transcripts from old cases and cases where defendants and the accused were convicted and in many cases wrongfully convicted based on hair comparison analysis. So to start, Vanessa, hair comparison analysis is also called hair microscopy. 
and we'll use these terms interchangeably, but tell us a little bit about what hair microscopy or, or hair comparison analysis is exactly. It's looking at hair under a microscope, as, as you would think from the title, but what a well-trained hair examiner was supposed to be able to do is look at different characteristics in hair and try to make an association from those characteristics. They look at characteristics like the color and the thickness, whether it looks wavy, if it has what they call scales on the cuticle, whether it's smooth or ragged. They also look at the part of the hair that's the medulla, which is the middle of the hair. And they look at the shape of that, the thickness, the color. They also look at the cortex, which is the main part of the hair. And that gives the hair characteristics like the pigment. And when they do the examination, they make note of all these characteristics in like a known sample of hair. And then they seek to compare that to the evidentiary hair. So it sounds scientific, I guess, in a way. The examiner takes some hair from the suspect's head and they know where that's coming from because it's the person that's accused of the crime right in front of them sitting in a jail cell so they take that hair and put it in a little bag and label it and they take that hair sample and compare it to what you refer to as the evidentiary hair or the unknown sample that was found at the scene of a crime And so they're looking at characteristics of the hair found at the crime scene and then seeing if the person that they claim committed this crime has hair that matches these characteristics. But the problem seems to be that there are so many different characteristics and variables in hair that matching one hair to another And, you know, doing that to try to find out whether it came from the same person isn't as easy as some might think. In reading all of these transcripts from hair examiners, you know, throughout decades until 2000, they would tell you that there's a range, even in a person's own head of hair, they don't all look identical. So where does hair microscopy really run into trouble? Why isn't it reliable? Microscopic hair comparison doesn't rely on a chemical analysis or a set of concrete standards to associate or to make a comparison. It's what is known as a pattern and matching discipline. So it's basically eyeballing it. It's a subjective forensic discipline. In fact, in the words of one of the FBI hair examiners, it's the most subjective of the forensic disciplines. As another microscopic hair examiner said, you just, um, you know, sometimes you get a feeling <laughs> about a hair and, you know, it just bowls you over and you just look at it. And so that's why there won't be a database. You can't make a database of that type of subjective feeling about hair. Yeah, I get it. I mean, you could make a database of people's subjective feelings about hair, but it's not going to tell you very much. But it really begs the question. Why were prosecutors using this to try to get convictions if it's so subjective and so speculative? Why were they using it at all? Generally, they would start out operating on the, you know, the transfer principle that if your hair falls out and you are in a location or you're near someone, hair can transfer to another person or 
to the place that you're in close proximity to. So it could give evidence of someone's presence in a certain location or with a certain person. When that is one of the few pieces of evidence you have, obviously you want to um, pursue that. And a lot of these cases, um, not all, but a lot of them were in pre-DNA times. So this would be very powerful evidence when you can't just DNA test something. So what you had is the hair. But DNA testing had come out in the 90s. So why wasn't it being used on hair evidence? Why were prosecutors still, and FBI examiners for that matter, still using this hair comparison analysis? When we think of DNA testing, that's nuclear DNA testing. And the problem with hair and why this happened was because unless there was tissue at the root of the hair, like if you yank your hair out and it may or may not have some tissue at the root, unless there was tissue there that could be tested with nuclear DNA, you couldn't do a DNA test on hair. All you could do is eyeball it under a microscope until mitochondrial DNA, you know, different type of DNA testing allowed testing of the hair shaft to give a result. So in all those decades, that was not there. That technology wasn't being used. And it wasn't until around 2000 that even, you know, the FBI lab started using that in all the cases. And that is when they could actually look at the hair and say conclusively, no, it wasn't from this individual. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine. Hosted by me, Danielle Robay. And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host. Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself as the middle generation. 
I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I want to talk about three cases that all occurred around the Washington, D.C. area. One was Sante Tribble, who we mentioned earlier, where a dog hair was mistaken for a human hair. Now, another case was the case of Donald Eugene Gates. And Donald Gates was accused of raping and killing a girl in a park. Now, during his trial, an FBI special agent testified that Donald's hair was, quote, microscopically indistinguishable, end quote from hairs found on the victim's body. And based on that, that the hair from the crime scene probably belonged to Donald Gates. And so Donald was convicted and sentenced to 20 years to life in prison. And then there's yet a third case, and that is the case of an 18-year-old named Kirk Odom. Now, this one was, you know, another sort of mind-bending example of this junk science being applied because here you have Mr. Odom just walking down the street one day. He's on his way to go see his infant daughter at his house. And a cop stops him on the street and says, you know, you look like the guy in this picture. And the picture was a sketch that had been drawn based on a description given by a woman that had been attacked, blindfolded, and raped by a stranger with a gun. And the victim only got a brief look at her attacker, but the officers drew the sketch based on what she described, which was basically a young black man. Based on that, the officer arrests Kirk Odom, and you have another example of an FBI agent testifying at a trial, and here the agent gets on the stand and says, Kirk Odom's hair matches essentially hair found on the victim's nightgown. And they use the same sort of language that is indistinguishable from Kirk's hair. Kirk spent over 22 years in prison. So what happens next is mitochondrial DNA testing finally becomes available, right? That's the DNA testing of hair. And all three of these men's hair was tested. And what do you know? None of their DNA matched any of the hairs that were found at the scenes of these crimes. And at this point, the FBI couldn't hide behind this anymore. So tell us, Vanessa, what happens next? Well, I was lucky enough to be working with NACDL when um, NACDL joined in work in a partnership with the FBI, the Department of Justice, and the Innocence Project to conduct a review of the FBI hair examiner's cases from, you know, whenever they started, when the earliest we could find, up to about 2000. And that came about for a couple reasons, one of which was the National Academy of Sciences report on strengthening forensic science, which looked at pattern and matching disciplines including specifically hair comparison, and said, you know, it just doesn't have a sufficient foundation to be used for identifying people. 
So the NACDL is working with the FBI and you start going through all of these old cases. You're reading the transcripts and these are trials where hair evidence was used to get a conviction. So what did you find? Part of the frustration that the lawyers had and that we all had reading these transcripts back to back was the continued nature of the same statements that were unscientific. And so we called them (laughs) error type one, two, and three. And in layman's terms, error type one is basically where they're making a one-to-one association between a person and a hair, which can never be done with microscopic hair comparison. So that's when an examiner either states or implies that the evidentiary hair can be associated to a specific individual to the exclusion of all others. And that would include statements indicating that hair is unique. Sometimes an analogy of a fingerprint was used in testimony. Well, it's not exactly like a fingerprint, but it kind of is. And that's why we can say that this hair came from this person. So that's that one-to-one association. And that is absolutely incorrect. You can't say hair is unique and use it to associate people. You know, you shouldn't have to say it's like this or it's like that. You should just say what it is. And if what it is isn't enough, then it shouldn't be used to connect a hair to a person. That wasn't really the most common type of error or scientifically invalid statement we saw. It was usually what we call error two. And what I'm talking about there are statements like, well, it would be rare if two hairs that look this similar came from two different individuals. And those were the things we were looking for in the review. And unfortunately, found that in the majority, the vast majority, over 90% of cases where FBI examiners gave testimony, the conclusions were exaggerated and there were scientifically unsupported statements in the testimony. Look, I always knew this was bad, but 90% of the cases, I mean, that's just an insane statistic. And, you know, our listeners really need to remember that these weren't just any experts coming in to give testimony. This is the FBI. This is, you know, an organization that has a reputation for having attained higher knowledge, you know, knowing more than just everyday people. When an FBI examiner comes in, especially in a state case, great weight is given to what they say. It is you know, very impressive to have the FBI show up and explain um, a discipline and tell you what something means in their experience. And that's what happened. In some cases, the FBI was asked to do hair examination when the local examiners couldn't make an association, which makes the whole thing even more questionable because the inquiry should end there. You shouldn't be able to try to find someone else who will give you the answer that you want. Also, they found that the FBI hair examiners kept their identity as law enforcement agents first and foremost. And they found that instead of acting like impartial scientists, the FBI lab culture at the time embraced the agent examiners acting like more like detectives. And that that approach should have been pulled back and remembered, no, you're independent, this is scientific. You're not part of the law enforcement investigative team. You're a scientist. 
So Vanessa, you read transcripts from a ton of cases, a lot of testimony. Were there any that really stood out to you where you sat back and said, wow, this is really bad? A couple of things where I thought I could not believe this was the case where the examiner said that he had significant experience, you know, examining pubic hairs from people from Mexico, and therefore he could exclude people from Mexico from having contributed the pubic hair in the case at hand. Obviously, that was because the alternate suspects other than the defendant were from Mexico. So that was entirely made up. I mean, I can't even, there's no, there's no point trying to be nice about it. That's not a thing anybody um, can ever say. And it was just made up. You can't say that a hair came from an individual of a particular racial group. They can look at the hair and talk about some of the ancestral origins and some of the classifications into groups at a huge, broad level which really wouldn't have value in, you know, crime investigation, but they absolutely can't say that it did or did not come from a person from a certain country. <laughs> um, so that's, you know, that's pretty ridiculous. So after you review the transcripts from a case, and let's say you determine that, you know, an expert um, or a so-called expert came in and gave testimony and said things that were just outside the bounds of science. Um, and there was a conviction. What happened next? What were the next steps of the review? I seek to assist folks in finding counsel and um, hooking them up with lawyers who could assist them to pursue any claims they might have if that type of evidence was used in their case. They would do the DNA testing on the hair, or if no hair could be found after all these years, because these are old cases, they would do testing on other biological evidence as long as a chain of custody could be established. So look, I, I just have to say, um, and if this is a shameless plug, so be it. The NACDL is just, it's a remarkable organization because you're not only exposing problems, which you certainly did here, but it goes that extra step to helping people that, you know, have been the victim of a wrongful conviction or the victim of, you know, testimony that goes outside the bounds of science and getting them help and hooking them up with lawyers. So you must, Vanessa, have had an interesting experience from all these cases. What, what is your biggest takeaway from this work? No matter how much you want a conviction or how much other evidence you think you have of guilt, it's never appropriate to admit unsupported science. In the idea that using certain techniques are needed as tools to quote unquote catch the bad guys, um, which is still a conversation that's going on with forensic science today. That's the fear that law enforcement won't have the tools they need to catch people or to convict people. And the appropriate response should be, well, those tools have to be scientifically valid and they have to be scientifically sound. So can't this model that the NACDL and the FBI employed here, which is re-reviewing cases and exposing problems and helping right these wrongs, can't this model be applied 
to other disciplines of junk science. It just seems so effective and you're able to help so many people. As a result of the FBI hair review and other movements to make sure forensic science was more reliable for the courtroom, there were plans in the Department of Justice in the last administration to do similar reviews of other pattern and matching disciplines to take a historical look back and see if in some other disciplines in the FBI lab that were susceptible to similar errors, if similar errors had occurred and like the hair review to find those and identify them and provide notification and give a means for folks to address those um, you know, potential scientific overstatements. All right. So the way you say that, Vanessa, when you say there were plans in the Department of Justice um, to do this historical look back, makes me have the sinking suspicion that maybe it didn't pan out. What happened? That, along with several other plans, was rolled back by then Attorney General Sessions under the new administration. It has become a little harder. We have to be extra vigilant when you're dealing with a situation where plans for progress were abandoned. So while a lot of progress has been made, there's a lot to be done. You know, cases are still litigation, cases still need to be litigated. So yeah, the the struggle (laughs) continues. You might be listening to this, wondering what you can do to help. Thanks to the work that Vanessa is doing with the NACDL, many individuals have been exonerated. But being exonerated means moving from a life of injustice and hardship in prison to another kind of very difficult life outside of prison. Take for example Drew Whitley. In 1989, the manager of a McDonald's was murdered in Pennsylvania. Another McDonald's employee was there when the crime occurred. The witness could not see the face of the perpetrator because he was wearing a ski mask, but he claimed nonetheless that the person that committed the crime had been Drew Whitley, his neighbor. Investigators found a hair on a ski mask, which was found near the crime scene. They compared it to Drew's hair and claimed that it matched. Drew Whitley was convicted and sentenced to life in prison. After fighting for years, Drew was finally able to get the hairs from the crime scene tested for mitochondrial DNA. The hairs did not belong to him, and he was exonerated in 2006. The trauma from his wrongful conviction remains. He's always looking over his shoulder with the constant and perhaps justified worry that a police officer will bring him back to prison for no good reason at all. Something that strikes me about a lot of these men who have been convicted based on hair comparison evidence, like Drew Whitley and Kirk Odom, is that many of them have shaved their heads after they're released. I can't help but to wonder if it's because of this fear, that someone will find their hair where it shouldn't be, and the nightmare will begin all over again. After serving 17 years for a crime he didn't commit, Drew was finally released. But he didn't receive any compensation from the state. So here's someone that lives a literal nightmare, struggling behind bars to prove his innocence, and now he has to struggle to survive on the outside. Right now, 15 states in this country don't offer any compensation to exonerees. 
The 35 states that do differ widely in the amounts that they offer, and it's often difficult to satisfy all of the procedural requirements to qualify for the money. As you can imagine, there are always loopholes, and the states often exploit them. Money can't give back the years of someone's life that they were robbed of, but compensation does help. It eases an exoneree's path forward in healing and living a more comfortable life. The Innocence Project is fighting to hold states accountable for compensating wrongfully convicted individuals. Until all states enact legislation to compensate the wrongly convicted, that fight will continue. The Innocence Project has set up a fund to support exonerees. The fund is currently expanding to cover those exonerees who are facing job loss or economic hardships due to COVID-19. You can donate to this fund by going to innocenceproject.org slash exoneree-fund-2020. You can also support the amazing work that the NACDL is doing by donating to the NACDL Foundation for Criminal Justice. You could find out more about that at nacdl.org. Next week, we'll explore the junk science of shoe print and tire track evidence. Wrongful Conviction Junk Science is a production of Lava for Good Podcasts in association with Signal Company Number 1. Thanks to our executive producer, Jason Flom, and the team at Signal Company Number 1, executive producer Kevin Wardis, and senior producers Kara Kornhaber and Britt Spangler. Our music was composed by Jay Ralph. You can follow me on Instagram at dubin.josh. Follow the Wrongful Conviction podcast on Facebook and on Instagram at Wrongful Conviction and on Twitter at Wrong Conviction. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at First, first Listen. Listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts. Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. 
Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side.